This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy. You know, people are always asking me about the animals that I work with. Well, I worked with a real live bear the other night, and I still feel a bit depleted. I didn't know I was so apprehensive until it was all over, though. <laughs> and then I realized that you can never really trust a wild animal. Sometimes you can't even trust the tame ones, no matter how trained they are. I was just trying to remember today all the animals I've worked with through the years in this business that I have, uh, shall we say, uh, no affection for. My first was actually a reptile, a nine-foot alligator. It was on a picture with Eddie Cantor, my very first picture, as a matter of fact. I, uh, I backed into this scaly monster one day on the set. I was very scantily clad, and he took instant advantage of this opportunity and snapped his jaws tight, and well, well, I already told you I was scantily clad. My uh, next adventure in animal land was with a huge Great Dane about the size of a small horse. He did a co-starring part with me, and we were together for two whole months, and he adored me. So much so that one day I had a rather dangerous water scene to do, and right in the middle of it, I was supposed to pretend, pretend, mind you, pretend to be drowning. I was yelling, help, help, and he thought I meant it. He broke away from his trainer and jumped in to save me and almost drowned me. He landed right on top of me, and he weighed about 170 pounds. He got a hold of my hair and tried to drag me ashore, and they had to lock him up before they could finish getting the shot. Of course, he was frantic with worry. I was grateful to him, but slightly damaged. My next encounter was with Jojo the monkey on an organ grinder's leash. You know those cute little things. I was supposed to feed Jojo, and Jojo, he didn't like redheads, I guess. I mean blondes. I forgot I was a blonde then. And he nipped me pretty good, on sight. Now, that was not my only upset with the Simeon family, either. There were others. But I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep these in order of their appearance, or I should say disappearance, because I have been gradually making a list of animals that I do not care to work with anymore. Oh, do you remember Elsie the cow? <laughs> that beautiful creature with the long black eyelashes and the great big blue eyes. She was quite famous in her day, and, and she died in a traffic accident in Times Square, New York City. Now, unbelievable as that sounds, it's true. Well, anyway, I worked with Elsie, the bovine beauty, and uh, we were all sent on a publicity junket one night. I was to lead Elsie around a large baseball diamond in a parade that was to start a charity affair. Now, I was wearing a three-quarter length lynx jacket and Elsie took an instant dislike to it. So instead of walking sedately beside me, as she was supposed to do, she took to bunting me around the stadium. We got laughs, but I got bruised. I was not so fond of Elsie after that. In fact, I almost didn't go to her cocktail party that was given at Ciro's. That's a very famous nightclub here in Hollywood. Elsie uh, tried to apologize, but I wouldn't even acknowledge her. Oh, you know something, I used to have a beautiful cow. I called her the Duchess of Devonshire. Oh, she was so divine. I raised her from a three-day-old calf. And you know, she was a war casualty. 
we were shipping her off to be married, and her truck was hit by an army truck carrying German prisoners of war. And that's true. <laughs> I was just thinking, I did a picture once with Chester Morris. We were galloping across the hills in some cowboy story or other, all mixed up with Mexican bandits, and, and the bandits were playing dirty. They were using planes to snipe at us from. My horse got frightened by the roar of the motors, and he took off for the stables. But the stables were in another county. You know, I found muscles I didn't know I had. And let's see, now about this time, over at MGM, I made a picture with Red Skelton. And we had, oh, about 200 cockatoos, macaws, and cockatiels, or whatever they call them, all kinds of birds in one scene. I was playing Madame du Barry at the time, and I wore a big white wig. It was a big poufant thing that weighed 15 pounds. And every time I walked on the set, those birds would swoop down on me, and, and the wig dug at my head. I still have little holes to prove it. Oh, I mustn't forget little Emily, the pint-sized chimp on Gary Moore's show, I've Got a Secret. She was always dressed as a baby girl, diapers and ruffles and bonnets and hives. Yes, she had hives. Little Emily looked the cutest, was trained the best, and was the most unpredictable. Now, the idea on the Gary Moore show was for me to sit with Emily, be dressed just as she was, in dungarees and plaid shirt, and imitate the adorable little thing. I was to do anything she did, like eating bananas or investigate for fleas or whatever those little chimps do, uh, and chatter the way she did, you know, and, and, and then the, pa the panel was supposed to guess what was going on. Well, everything went fine at the rehearsals, but just before the show, Emily balked at wearing boys' clothes. She got nervous because of the hot lights and broke out in hives and had to have a shot. She broke the head of the needle, began to scream and leap all over the place. Now, this is five minutes before showtime. They were trying to grab some last-minute publicity pictures, and they made the mistake of trying to get us close together. The trainer was trying to get her into my dressing room. He got her as far as the door. She took one look, gave out with an unearthly scream, and leaped at me across the room. I threw my hands up to protect my face, and she got two of my fingers on my right hand. Now, Emily was a tiny chimp, about three feet high, but she had the strength of a gorilla. She bent my fingers backwards. I thought they were going to snap right off. Apparently, Emily's actions were instigated by the hives and due to the fact that she really resented being dressed in boys' clothes. Now, Gary Moore was on stage. The show had started. We didn't have time to tell him what happened. I was supposed to appear on camera with my little friend, and I was dressed rather strangely to make an appearance without her. So I hastily grabbed a bulky evening coat I had there, and with my fingers swelling all out of proportion, I galloped on stage. And poor Gary had to just guess what to talk about. We ad-libbed for a while, and I made a rather delirious guest as I was in considerable agony. Six months later, I hadn't quite fully recovered the use of the two fingers in my arm. So, shall we say that is another little animal crossed off my list? Well, now, don't get me wrong. All these years, I've always had dozens of animals in my own home. I love animals. It's just that the ones in the business I get in trouble with. I, I think they're more temperamental than the humans I have worked with. And I suppose they have a right to be. After all, they didn't ask to be in show business. They got shoved into it. Well, there are a lot more animals in my life that I'd love to tell you about. So let's continue this little safari tomorrow, shall we? Talk to you tomorrow, friends.
Hi, this is Lucy. Yesterday, I was telling you about some of the animals I have worked with through the years in show business. And I mentioned that I had made a list of these creatures that I don't particularly care to work with anymore. Now, don't get me wrong, I love animals. We've always had lots of them in our home. Even an iguana that little Desi presented us with this summer. It's just the temperamental ones I've had to work with that I'm talking about. Anyway, we did a television show with Betty Grable and Harry James once, and we hired a horse just because he could sit in a chair and climb a flight of stairs. Now, this is a pretty big accomplishment for a large horse, I admit. But don't you know he sat on me instead of the chair and he kicked me going up the stairs? And as if that wasn't enough, I also suffered through many indignities with a trotting horse on that same show. I went out to Hollywood Park to learn how to drive behind a real trotter. Well, of course, I was a nervous greenhorn, so this horse decided he was in a real race. And I flew around that track like I had wings. And if you are aware of the proximity of the driver and the horse's tail in one of those gigs, you'll get the picture. <laughs> oh, boy. My next upset was with a creature of the jungle, an elephant named Esmeralda. Now, this uh, happened in a charity parade that we were part of, and somebody forgot to tell me about the trick they have of swooping up a big trunk full of dirt and straw from the ground and throwing it up over their heads and into your face. You know, I was picking straw out of my hair and eyes for days. I crossed elephants off my list. Recently, I was formally introduced to the most beautiful, lovable sheepdog you ever saw. In one of our TV shows, Viv and I frequently have to deal with Nelson, Mr. Mooney's dog. She is about uh, three and a half feet tall and weighs 150 pounds. And she has the cutest, friendliest personality. She, she loves everybody too much. One day, she bounded over the sofa on the set and knocked my neck out of joint. My left eye spun around like a billiard ball, and for two weeks, I had trouble focusing. I'm working with Nelson again soon, and I'm wondering what else can happen with all that 150 pounds of adoration. Last year, I was asked to be the marshal at the sheriff's Western Roundup and lead the parade that was going to be held at the sports arena. My sparkling new white cowboy outfit was so tight I had to sit without bending my knees. When I had had my fitting, I had forgotten I was going to be sitting on a horse. Anyway, I was late arriving, and being the marshal, the parade could not start without me. I was sitting bumper to bumper on the freeway, 45 minutes away and about to have a stroke. Finally, finally, we got within walking distance of the arena. Some police scouts were out looking for me, pulled me out of the car, and started heralding my advance with shouts of, here she comes, here she comes, get her horse ready. And I was passed from hand to hand at a sprightly clip, may I say, down the entrance into the tunnels that spilled out into the arena. I was sprinted past Indians, cowboys, horses, steers, bulls, covered wagons, and about 200 other people waiting to take part in the parade. I was slipping and sliding in my tight white pants and trying desperately to keep my dignity. After all, I was the Grand Marshal. Well, they couldn't have cared less. All they knew is that I was late. Finally, I was literally airborne in the direction of a beautiful white horse, but instead of hitting the saddle, I went completely over the horse and landed in the mud on the other side. 
Well, frantic hands grabbed at me and made another mighty heave, and I struck the saddle like I'd been dropped from a bomber. As the parade started, I yelled, what's her name? Somebody yelled back, Bessie! Well, the horse took off and circled the arena twice before I knew what was happening, and before the rest of the parade started. You know, to this day, they think I'm the most magnificent trick rider in town. I get calls 20 times a year to perform in rodeos. <laughs> Little do they know. Well, anyway, the other night, Carol the bear reminded me of all these animals that I have worked with. Now, Carol performed okay, but she did give me a little scare or two, and I have a few black and blue marks to prove it. Carol was adorable, but not to be trusted or depended on if you ran out of sugar or sardines. During the rehearsals one day, Carol took a little nip out of me. I didn't suffer from the nip incident very much, but I still smell from sardines. Well, sir, I have come to the conclusion that no animals are to be trusted while performing, just admired from a distance, loved from afar. In the last few days, I have had several letters asking about any lessons that I have learned from life. Well, I always think of this one phrase, and this too shall pass. Now, if there's one lesson from life that I have learned that I would pass along to others, it would certainly be this quotation. Because nothing is more true and nothing more difficult to believe when you most need to. But you must make yourself believe it. This too shall pass. It is not an invitation to accept a, a manana philosophy, do nothing and it will pass away nor is it a suggestion to embrace a, a, a fatalistic attitude. Rather, I think it is meant to be a, a message to hearten, an arm around the shoulder. None of us is immune to tragedy, a loss of a loved one, a major disappointment in love, career, a disappointment in a fellow human being. Sometime or other, all of us must face up to such a situation. Teenagers, particularly, in their zest for living and reaching out for life so desperately that every nerve end tingles, are apt to find themselves exaggerating the, the intensity of their chagrin. They say, oh, mother, I'll die, I'll just die. Or, or they'll say, if he doesn't call, I'll... Or, or they'll say, if I don't make the honor roll, I'll just... Or if she wears the same dress, mother... Now, from the wisdom of experience, a mother can say with assurance, relax, these crises will seem as nothing soon. This too shall pass. An adult can see this in a youngster, and perhaps even as it applies to other contemporaries, but rarely can they see it when it befalls themselves. The knowledge that life goes on, that the pain, the hurt, the loss will pass away is a, a source of strength I have found to be true the statement that attitude is, is so much more important than the fact. Let me give you an example. Try driving in heavy traffic. Now, if you are in a hurry, a six-minute traffic jam will seem like an hour. If you watch the pot, it will never boil. For instance, a child spills a glass of milk. One day, you mop it up calmly and pour him another glass. Another day you explode, the situation becomes intolerable, while the fact that the child spilled his milk remains the same. So it is with the crises in your life. 
They depend upon your attitude. Remember, this too shall pass, and you will be sustained. Thanks for being with us today, ladies and gentlemen. Please join us tomorrow. Bye now. Hi, this is Lucy. You know what I'm doing today? I'm luxuriating in a day at home all by myself. I've been looking forward to it for a long time. Recently, I picked up a magazine and it said, The Gentle Art of Staying at Home, and that immediately caught my eye. I just loved the idea because I have so many times commented on how much more I appreciate staying at home on my time off than traveling anywhere. I like to travel, but I love staying at home. And you know what? I plan for it. All during the months I work, I plan things in preparation for my days at home. You know, like the records I'm going to listen to, the books I'm going to read, the letters I'm going to get off. And this is one of my weeks at home. It's the start of a short vacation, and the weather is so beautiful, and it's peaceful here in the backyard, and I've moved all of these things that I've been gathering the last few months out into one little area so that everything I need is at hand, and I'm ready to settle down. For the next few days, I'm going to come out to this portion of the backyard, and I'm going to enjoy my own little spot. You know, this is something we all can do. Sometimes it's so simple that people don't do it. They think, well, I'll get around to it, I'll do it later, but they don't really plan for it. I plan for a day of rest the same way I plan for a day of activity. And of course, I appreciate it even more. This, uh, this particular article that I saw in a magazine, The Gentle Art of Staying at Home, started off with this. It said, sat in any good hammocks lately? Have you sipped a lemonade in the shade? How long has it been since you've taken a long, lazy walk in the backwoods and along the old creek bed? If your answer is a long time, no do, then it's about time. And this particular article said that they believed a home was not just a place to eat and sleep during the work week, not just a place to escape from the minute the office shut down on Friday. They said that they thought... Home should be enjoyed with your family and your friends and on the weekends more than any other time of the week. But in the frantic flight to go somewhere, they claimed that we had all but forgotten how delightful a home can be, and I'm right with them. Gary and I haven't forgotten how delightful a home can be. We have our music, our comfortable chairs, and our, our good reading lamps. We have our relaxing areas in the house. We have our game tables. We're lucky enough to have a pool and a wonderful spot in the backyard that's comfortable and it's set up to enjoy. Now then, today I'm going to start off by doing a little letter writing. And during this week I'm going to start three different books. One book that I've been trying to get time to read for months is The Agony and the Ecstasy, the story of Michelangelo. I saw Michelangelo's Pietà at the World's Fair and I shall appreciate the book even more now. You know... Most of us have sort of a, oh, a, a guilt complex about just sitting and doing what we want to do. And you know, it's so important to take the time to do something for ourselves. Like for instance, for us gals, I mean the hair, the nails, the little beauty luxuries we, we just don't take time for often enough. Well, I, I plan this too. This week, I'm going to do a lot of things for my complexion and my figure. I'm going to swim every day. I'm going to see that I take my walks. 
that I enjoy some badminton, do my exercises. I exercise only about five minutes a day, uh, but that five minutes are very, very important to me, and anyone can do it. Anyone has five minutes. Anyway, I'm going to keep that up this week, and I'm going to also watch what I eat. My problem is that I don't eat enough, and when I'm home relaxing, I find that I do eat more, and I can choose what I'm eating a little more carefully. So I'm looking forward to all those things. Plus, of course, going to bed early at night and enjoying the television shows that I want to. And Oh, I mustn't forget this. Also, having time to talk, having time for friends to come over. Well, anyway, I'm really looking forward to it. Y you know what I would like? I would like to get some letters from my listeners, particularly the women, telling me that they took the reins in their hands and said to themselves... I am not going to feel guilty about giving myself some time, a little bit of time, every day. I suggest that you just sit down, make out a list of what you would like to do, and then see that you get it done. It may be just to sit and stare into space and make plans for the future, and there's nothing wrong with that. But anyway... I think the successful way to spend a short or long vacation is to say, what do I want to do the most? Is it rest? Is it exercise? If it's travel, then it's travel. But there are so many wonderful things we can do at home. Of course, I know a lot of mothers will write me and say, I never feel right just sitting and staring into space. Well, actually, I'm one of those also. I don't feel right just sitting doing nothing, and I'm not one who can take a nap during the day. So I'm happiest when I'm crocheting or knitting or reading, you know, doing something with my hands. I even go back to practicing the piano lots of times. You know, that's something that most mothers gave up a long time ago. They nagged the kids to do their practicing, but we gave it up, uh, oh, in favor of something that's more beneficial, we'll say, for the family. But in my vacation time, my day off or my week off, I go back to those things. I like to cook. I do the shopping. I get very little time to do that sort of thing. I have to entrust it to someone else during the time that I'm working. But uh, on my day off, I, I, I do it, and I love it. Oh, you know what I really love? Getting the old barbecue going outside. In California, we barbecue all year round. I use a little barbecue, and lately, instead of just getting hamburgers and steaks, I get an assortment of chops as well so that my guests can choose the kind of meat they want. It's a wonderful conversation piece, and it eliminates having just hamburgers and hot dogs all the time. And two, you can't always afford steaks for everybody. I think this is a ridiculous practice that every time you have a barbecue, you must have half a side of beef for every guest. So, anyway, I get the little pork chops, lamb chops, veal chops, and the hamburger and the hot dogs, and I have an assortment like, well, like some restaurants have, actually. In fact, I got the idea from a restaurant in Hawaii. Anyway, my guests seem to enjoy it. For the rest of the meal, I have dishes that I have prepared earlier during the day. Oh, yes, I'm all for that. I, I like preparing early so that at the last moment I can enjoy the party as much as my guests do. I get all of the oven cooking done, for instance, the casserole dishes, in the morning. I have all the dishes set out and make all the preparations for the liquid refreshments. Now, as for desserts, I don't go for pies and cakes. I love the fresh fruit desserts. 
I prepare all the fruit and put it in the refrigerator so that it's ice cold, and sometimes, just before serving, I pour a little creme de menthe over it. It looks beautiful and it tastes great. Also, for our barbecues, I use brighter colors uh, on the tables, larger salad bowls, my most colorful china and glasses and flowered tablecloths and candles. I think a colorful table is very important. A lot of people do the barbecuing bit only when they have guests. At our house, we do it when just the four of us are at home. The kids just love it. Uh-oh, time's up for today. Bye. Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.